All right, dude, just when you think we had a lot of trailers last week, Disney decided to drop their big ass Disney trailer load all over us at D23. We got so much news about new projects, which we're not going to talk about quite yet. There's a plethora of news. You can go find it elsewhere, but we're going to specifically key in on the movie trailers that we got from D23, starting off with a couple of uh, shorter ones for films we knew that were coming like enchanted to disenchanted the return of amy adams uh adina menzel patrick dempsey and james marsden all the like old players with new uh, who seems like the villain maya rudolph is in this movie now um but unfortunately even though i think enchanted is one of the most underrated disney movies i think this sequel just doesn't justify its existence it doesn't seem like an entertaining concept and honestly, I don't think it was really necessary. I mean, what about you? Well, like when we were sharing each other the information that came out on Saturday, it, there, this is just one of those films that like it, it obviously on their point, it sounds like a good idea. But then once we saw the footage, I just couldn't be any more less interested. I was OK. Like the, the Enchanted wasn't uh, Ellie Enchanted wasn't bad at all. But like right now, Amy Adams is on such a low shriek that it's it might be okay to just pass up on her on her film. Uh well it is you said Ella Enchanted that's a different movie with Anne Hathaway. Just Enchanted is what we're talking about. But oh, see see it goes to show See you. it I, doesn't even matter. I don't even uh, the the Anne Hathaway movie is pretty good. She can't lie or something and she put on it whatever. Um Yeah, I mean my thing is the only thing I would have thought that would be a good idea for a sequel to Enchanted is like, you know, how they're animated characters that get knocked into the real world. Now that they have been residing in the real world for a long enough time, I was hoping that this movie would be them going back to the animated world and dealing with that stuff and it being like a reverse of the movie. But that's clearly not what they're doing because that would be more expensive to animate. Um, but yeah. Another trailer we got right off the bat in that big Disney panel was a trailer for a movie that's only coming out in like a couple of weeks. Hocus Pocus 2, another sequel to a long uh, awaited and underrated and beloved Disney classic that has found its own cult status. And I think the only takeaway I have from this trailer, because it's another movie with a concept that I just don't think really is worth being a sequel these three women have not aged a day in 25 years. Like, yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker is Sarah Jessica Parker. But like even Bette Midler and oh, my God, I, I knew her name. Oh, my God. I know. her. I knew her name. I knew I knew it. I had it just a second ago. Kathy Najimi. Kathy Najimi. Yeah, exactly. Because she's also in Sister Act and I love her in that movie. Um they all look like they just stepped right back into their costumes. Like it, they, like a day hasn't passed. It's great. But that's the only thing that's great about the trailer. I mean, I, it looks, looks entertaining. It's just probably one of those movies where like this could have came out a decade ago and then they still waited to do it now. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll watch it for mostly nostalgia purposes, but other than that, I'm not like totally excited. Well, I don't even have the nostalgia for the original. I've never sat through the entirety of that movie. So I've oh, seen parts I, like flipping through Disney Channel, but that's about it. That movie was just like in terms of bread and butter with what was on on Halloween all the time. That was that was a, that was one of them. Mm -hmm. 
Of course, of course. And now we talk about maybe the most controversial trailer to come out in this whole plethora of Disney trailers, and that is for the new Little Mermaid live action remake. Uh, we're not going to talk about the controversial aspects. I just want to talk about how beautifully that Haley or what's her name? Fuck. Haley, Haley Bailey or something. I, that's so hard because I want to say uh, Halle Berry. Haley Berry sing. It's basically just the littlest 30 second clip snippet of her singing part of your world. Uh, and it sounds amazing. So one of the worst parts of the Pinocchio movie we're going to talk about is that the songs were not anything. And as long as little mermaid can handle the songs well in this movie and from the talent they got to play Ariel, I can tell that it's probably going to be pretty damn good. I'm excited to at least see that. Uh, I mean, yeah, considering the sheer, um, I guess the chatter that's going to come from it, the closer we get, the more we get out of it, it's just going to be so annoying that it's going to turn people away. And you know what? If you don't want to watch it, then don't fucking say a word. Yeah. Like, we don't got time for that shit. Dude, right? Who cares? <laughs> like, Go out there and complain about your fucking football team. And then we'll. (laughs) Uh, Dude, my whole thing, my thing with the live action uh, movies in general, and I'm going to say this again, once we get into the actual show, you can always go back to the original. You can always just watch the original. You do not have to support the live action remake. And if you choose to, and you don't like it, that's one thing, but to just like outright boycott it for no reason is kind of silly in my opinion and saying it ruins the original is the stupidest statement you can make these days in film um but there we go and uh, end of that conversation we will now take a hard beeline into our marvel world we didn't get really any movie news whatsoever from the marvel studios at least that we got to see from the public. They did talk a little bit about Black Panther. They got to see a clip from there. I think they did get to see a clip from Ant-Man and the Wasp here at this one as well. And uh, there also was a bit of stuff for... Um, they, show, um, they show the trailer for Marvels. And then they also yes, show the trailer thank you. for... Yeah, and it, it, apparently the Ant-Man footage was different than what they showed yes. at Comic-Con as well. Um so there's a lot of speculation in, in between that. And then the, I guess their big reveal that they thought there was tr- that was their trump card. Their big reveal of the big panel ended up being a little lackluster. Everyone was hoping for Fantastic Four or X-Men. And we got the Thunderbolts cast of all the villains that we have left over from these movies, because this is the roster you get when you kill off all of your actually super interesting and complex villains like Killmonger and Thanos and all of those guys and Loki, you get a bunch of, you get ghost and taskmaster. Uh, I am very happy to see red guardian and Yelena and even Bucky on this roster. That's very interesting. Um, but that's this, that wasn't news. That wasn't big enough for the Marvel panel to have their big announcement be, but we did get real trailers two trailers one for a show that i am surprisingly way more excited for now that i seen the trailer and another one that i was kind of low on but now is easily one of my most anticipated shows from marvel so the first and foremost was the secret invasion sam jackson leading his own show nick fury getting his first like title uh role and 
this looks like a high caliber, fast paced espionage show, but with shape shifting aliens inside of the Marvel Universe. And what else could you ask for with this show? It looks amazing. No, I was actually kind of really impressed with what we got from the from the footage. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see, like, what looks to be a more grounded Nick Fury. Um with Samuel Jackson and then just kind of I personal favorite of mine has been Middleson. Uh, and then we also obviously get Olivia Coleman and Emily Clark entering the MCU. So it'd be interesting to see how, uh, it, what we get from it. And then there's still a lot more that this sh- show is going to set the, for the, the course going forward. So this might be one of those where you actually have to uh, watch and pay attention because they might reveal some heavy stuff. So I saw one person saying something that like, you know, we know that Nick Fury had because of the end credit scene in Spider-Man Far From Home has been off world for a very long time. And we know that Talos specifically has been impersonating Nick Fury for a significant amount of time. I'm hearing chatters that we we lose the real Nick Fury and we're probably going to see what when what happens in the show. But we Nick Fury goes off into space to do his thing directly after he like fakes his own death in winter soldier. And then that's when he calls in Talos. And from there on, like in infinity or in a age of Ultron, that conversation in the barn, that's Talos. Every other uh, instance of Nick Fury after winter soldier is Talos. So we're seeing Nick Fury coming back to earth after being off world for however many years doing whatever he's doing. And that's going to be super interesting in and of itself. But this layered mystery of who can you trust? Because any one of the people around him can be a scroll is exactly what secret invasion is all about in the comics. It's just there's much more superhero-ness of it all. But this is a perfect little way to do that story in its own small contained show. And I love that. Uh, And then the other show, which I'm excited for, which Brent doesn't seem quite as excited for, uh, is The Werewolf by Night. Guy Garcia Bernal is leading this show. Uh, It looks like a classic style black and white universal monster movie that or at least that's the style that they're trying to elicit with this like horror show. And it's a quick, snappy trailer. But like you see moments of TVA agents from Loki. You see Man Thing, who has been confirmed to be in this show, and that's really exciting for me because he's just a big old earth swamp creature man um so that's gonna be very cool you did disappoint me by sending me the little tweet about um mahershal ali not being able to film a cameo because of scheduling conflicts wasn't it yeah yeah bummer uh because he would have fit in perfect with what i think is gonna take part in this show i mean a vampire versus a werewolf would have been amazing but i'm very excited to see what this is this is i mean it seems right up my alley i love those old horror movies i love twilight zone the black and white aesthetic really works you could even see that they were like going they had like you you know those like cigarette burn marks on classic film that like tell you when you have to change the reel over they had little frame of that in in the trailer and i thought that was very cool so i'm excited yeah i mean it just i mean I don't know. Being the direct and directed by the composer Michael Chiquillo, uh, I just I I don't I don't know. I wasn't too impressed with the trailer. Like, oh, cool, they're they're going to black and white to try and sway away from other areas uh, of the TV shows and whatnot within Marvel. But like, it just I I, I unfazed. I don't 
I don't fucking care. <laughs> it looked nothing like nothing like original excited me because like you're saying, they're showing these tropes from the old 40s horror films, 20s to 40s horror films. And I'm just like, I just and it's stained with MC. I don't know. I think the fatigue is coming in for some of these TV shows and I don't want to get excited for every single fucking one that comes out. That is a fair decision for you to make. But as for me, I have a, uh, I have season tickets to everything that Marvel's doing as our friend Blaine would say. Uh, but um, here, actually I'm going to cut this little part out. You, how about you jump in with these other three trailers since what other three trailers? Uh, yeah. So enough of that shit. Um, let's get <laughs> to the you caught me so off guard with that. I'm sorry. That was amazing. It's so like I'm the more we talk about Marvel and you can keep this in here. The more we talk about it, the more I just don't care anymore. Like we should have gotten. Oh, well, I don't love that. Before. We should have gotten some stuff like I that's true. About I don't all this TV stuff. Like I just don't care about it that much more. I didn't even watch She-Hulk yet today. I'm just like really going nosedive into like I don't care anymore. I just uh. don't. Like, I don't want to consistently have this conversation where it's just like, it's Marvel, it's Marvel, it's Marvel. Boom, we'll talk about something else. I, it just, there's so much more better stuff out there that no one watches that they need to, plain and simple. Anyways, rant over. I mean, I don't know about better, but I can totally get what you're saying. It's like we get seven shows a year it's, and four listen, movies. Listen, it's kind of, it is, in, it is insane. It's over. So I, I listened to a podcast where these people were trying to, you know, uh, name off the best space movies out there and they were comparing about how <laughs> a podcast no we're gonna shout it out the real views podcast you guys fucked up that fucking bragging shit did you listen to it before i go on a more deep moded rant i here? i didn't finish the whole thing but they, i i went through said, like the first two rounds or so there were gentlemen on the show that said infinity war is a better film than alien and space alien. film space film yeah space film infinity war is not a space but, movie let, let me try and see Infinity War pull that off with the budget that Alien Aliens had. Let me try it. Let me, let me just see what they can do with that. Just a load of crap. Load of crap. And then not to mention Gar- Guardians is better than, um, was it Gravity? I don't know. There's just some anarchy. Guardians is the only Marvel it's, movie it's that I would actually God. like loop Absolutely. into the space movies mm-hmm. genre. Infinity War doesn't fit the bill because that's, Half of the movie is is set on Earth. The other half, is I guess. Set, I guess Austin yeah, Powers space. is a space movie because there's a quick shot of space. Yeah, exactly. I, no, yeah. So, a Man of Steel is a space movie because they start off on Krypton. Like you could do, literally do this all day. I, uh, I, but it, yeah, it, no. Really, almost you guys. Happened. Next, hey, Real Views Podcast, Blaine. We're we're. I'm saying this as a friend. Do better. All right. Uh, now moving on. <laughs> We got railroaded there. Now, back to the more important stuff on hand. We are in the cusp of a what's going to be. Uh, it sounds like a dry award season, but I think once we get. No, not. Uh, I'm, hold on now. It sounds dry. But I'm saying once we get into it, it's going to be really impressive with all the new creative fe- uh, features we're getting from like returning uh, actors, actresses, filmmakers, huge uh, filmmakers, a whole lot of genre splitting across the board. And the trailers that we've gotten released, uh, we get the return of Damien Chazelle with his first look at Babylon, which is a wild, wild uh, showcase that is rumored to already be uh, 
three and a half hours long or three hours long. <laughs> and and I really hope that, that is the final cut. But apparently it's just about it's about Hollywood in the 1920s. And it's about like the the actors that work in film at that time and how they're adjusting to the fact that Hollywood is wanting to take these bigger le leaps in their films. And it just looks like a, a riot. Like, I, I can't wait. It stars Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Tobey Maguire. It also, uh, the lead though is Daniel Cabo. So, and he really gave off that Javier Bardem uh, in that, in that trailer. So I'm really excited to see what we have in that one, but the film is just going to be loaded with actors. I'm sure we're going to see more and more as the, uh, we get closer to that, but it has a Christmas release date with a wide release after that. But you haven't checked that trailer out. That one looks, um, I mean, the guy did La La Land, Whiplash, First Man, and, and I think he's been three for three so far. Um, so I'm, I can't wait for that one. What do you think of the Babylon trailer? Well, my whole thing is, I don't know if it was the cast or the style of the film, but I kept when I was watching the trailer, I kept feeling these vibes of The Great Gatsby, even like a little bit of The Wolf don't of Wall Street with the... Listen, li listen to what I'm saying first. That's a heartbreak. Because of the big lavish parties in that specific time period is what I'm saying. Not the actual style of the film. I'm just saying it's eliciting the tones of that. And also, I was going to say the Wolf of Wall Street because there's the drugs and the lavishness and the cheering at the party in the pool. But then also it has that big, that like Hollywood aesthetic, that sheen like, a once upon a time in Hollywood. And I like, like I said, it's all these like similar casts just meld together, but the style that he's going after this, like larger than life Hollywood 20 style is ever is totally present in this. And you can definitely tell that this is going to be like a party movie. If that makes any sense. Oh, I mean, I'm like, a, like I, if like, if it's a three, if it's truly a three hour movie, like the a Wolf of wall street, it has to have that rapid fire, pace that that other movie does and like and if we do get that we're gonna see so much it'll be a damn treat well yeah and and i mean like i said i just i, I can't wait for that one be an interesting christmas style film but we also got the first look trailer for the fablemans steven spielberg's uh, childhood biopic this film premiered at tiff and got sensational reactions already across the board um like i said it's it's a film that kind of explores Spielberg's youth growing up and like what uh, cinema meant to him when he first met it and like the touch that that kind of gave to create art for the life that we've come to know with him and the, this film is just has a loaded cast with Michelle Williams Paul Dano playing his parents Seth Rogen playing his uh, uncle and I I can't I can't wait for it I, I think that there's a lot that's going to be really um uh Spiel like you'll get that Spielberg-esque to Spielberg it that we yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be uh, definitely a, a heartstring kind of film coming out Thanksgiving. Uh, two that looks like a two and a half hour film, which is obviously perfect Spielberg material. But it really just really gives off um, a really heartwarming vibe that we haven't got from Spielberg in a while. If you ask me, mm, not not since the BFG. <laughs> um. <laughs> You, one could say this is Steven Spielberg's Clerks 3. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah, da, 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 da. All right, forget. Um, Steve, okay, Steven Spielberg is a man who is the man when it comes to film. He has been responsible for putting and making magic right before our eyes. 
on numerous occasion, whether it's bringing a shark to life and making it the most feared thing in the sea or bringing E.T. or dinosaurs back to life in Jurassic Park and E.T. But to see where that level of passion and determination to become the greatest filmmaker of all time started in this biopic and seeing the like the roots of the love for film that Steven Spielberg has like grew is something I never knew I wanted, but now I need it as soon as possible. Like I cannot wait to watch this movie now. It's really because in the last five, six, seven years for me, this film has become the main aspect of my life. And it's one of the main aspects of your life as well. And to share that love and passion for film is one thing, but to see that displayed in one of the greatest directors of all time as a child by one of those, by that same greatest director is something you cannot pass up. I think everyone should go see this movie. If you've ever loved a movie. Yes. And this morning we got the trailer that uh, for a film that I just thought was never going to get released this year. Yeah, uh, really? I, we heard close. nothing about it. Yeah, with how close we are to, I guess, supposedly the release date. I want to dance with somebody. This is the Whitney Houston biopic. Uh, like, yeah, it's kind of been pushed to the dirt in terms of like no information coming out. It seemingly missed a bunch of deadlines to even uh, premiere at festivals. So that makes you wonder um what we're kind of in store with i i know my taste on musicianal biopics is not like not on the light night nice kind but uh <laughs> with, this, with this being whitney houston it, it looks uh like it could be a treat uh you have naomi aki who is more noticeable recognized from the star wars rise of skywalker a lot of other things i just haven't kind of seen her seen her in but uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, I mean, if you fuck up Whitney Houston, don't show yourself in Hollywood anymore. So I, I I would look at it like that. Yeah, I well, that's the thing. Um, do we know if it's her singing or if it's like a recording or a mixture of the two? Because it 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 didn't quite sound exactly like Whitney Houston for the like song so, that's over the trailer. So um, a lot. Of times with these biopics, you don't know anything about it until the oh, fair, fair enough. And there's just no one that's going to be able to replicate. Yeah, it. we'll have to wait for the soundtrack to drop and then we can look at the yeah, um, that's fair. But I mean, at, just like you, you guys know me and how I love me some musical biopics. Uh, the trailer just shows a lot of the early stuff in Whitney Houston's career. There's a little bit of flashes towards the back half, but like it really focused on the like positives and the uprising of, of her career. But I hope this movie doesn't shy away from the deeper and darker aspects of her life. Like the abusive relationship she was in and her addiction to drugs and all that stuff. Like, yeah, these are like cliche movie biopic tropes, but Whitney Houston is one of the most infamous and one of the greatest female musical performers of a generation. And to shy away from that would be a disservice to her legacy. Uh, so I really I don't I, I will we'll have to wait and see for that, but I'm pretty excited. Anytime I can get a good musical biopic with new songs uh, I can listen to and a new artist I can learn to appreciate because of uh, the things I see about their life story, I will take that. It uh, it certainly looks like they're going to do that one thing I like in biopics where that shows you how she drew inspiration from a song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Your favorite scene. It's like wait a minute. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the Leo pointing meme 
It's the no, well, it's the my Bologna thing from the Weird Al trailer that they're literally spoofing. They know that's the favorite moment for you. They made sure that they did it up to 11. Interesting. Yeah. Well, another long trailer trailers, but let's go get to the show. This is how I went. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Oh, you know, for me, the action is the juice. No. No, you. You complete me. I'm the king of the world! have a good sense of humor you're better off dead 69 dudes welcome back to the sin arrivals podcast folks we are here we got movies we did two episodes in two weeks can you believe it folks we are back on a regular schedule it's insane but we got a lot to talk about today because brett and brent went to the goddamn movies because there was Maybe not the best movies coming out, but we got a lot of them. So we are going to divvy them up over the next couple of weeks. The first and foremost, the first thing, I think the earliest thing I watched since the last recording, we got a brand new live action Disney remake. Yet another one. I think this is like the 16th or something, depending on where you start your lists. Um, Pinocchio starring Tom Hanks and apparently or in Cynthia Revo as the blue fairy but man i don't even know where to start with this movie (laughs) it's such a fucking bummer so you know how when you're uh when you're applying for jobs and you're trying to make yourself look good and you put uh references on those applications or or your resume to say least um this film if you're a part of it i would not put that on your resume period that's my notes except for jgl because his fucking Jiminy Cricket voice was uh, like amazing. Was it him? Because yeah. I could not figure that out. But that's the I, point. He was playing a character. He was doing the voice. I did. It, it, it still took me away from that because I'm trying to like, well, wait, why does Jay? Why does he not sound like him? And then it like I said, this I, is a hard. <laughs> this movie is ass. Dude, there's what an, happened there's to an actual line. There's an actual line. And, and we, we want to talk about. L streaks. Oh, you're are, you're gonna just call out the comedy writings for a modern age and right now? When they are when they seriously look at Pinocchio and they're just like, hmm, you know, we're going to and I still can't get out of my head that is an actual thing, but they're like in t- in this world that Pinocchio lives in, you know, they're gonna call him an influencer, the type of celebrity he's gonna be as an influencer, and that they're gonna call him Chris Pine. Because he's a boy made out of pine. Uh, dude, is, they made the pine. The writing I think I could ever fucking heard of. And, I, and it's so sickening that these Disney fucking live action remakes go down this road where like we have no taste. We're just going to throw this out there because it relates to today's culture. <laughs> and hopefully we could pull people to laugh. There is absolutely no no laugh whatsoever. This movie is shit. And I'm, I'm just I couldn't even. I watched it on my phone because I just did not give a fuck. Ah. Uh. You missed out, bro. 
Anyways, I'm it was done. an insane aspect ratio. Uh, I don't quite feel as strongly as my co-host. Horrible film. I thought the comedy was hit or miss. I actually over two this year. Can you believe that? Dude, Tom Hanks might be over. Period. COVID might have ruined his acting skills. But no, I I thought the comedy was more hit or miss than than my friend did. I thought the Chris Pine joke was a lot funnier than the joke that they kept making about being Pine Okio. They said that like five times. There there were definitely some low lows. The influencer thing was like, oh, I couldn't have rolled my eyes harder because they're like, you could be an entertainer, an actor, an influencer. Uh, I did enjoy that. That was Keegan-Michael Key playing Honest John. And he was like, hi, deedle dee. But there, this is like, it's, it's another clear cut example of when this Disney live action remakes make the same movie, but somehow find a way to tack on 30 extra minutes. It doesn't make any sense. They this movie doesn't do anything new with the material uh, that I mean, that being said, it did also doesn't stray from the original material nearly enough. And I've talked about this before. There's that fucking fine line that these movies always have to walk and they're never going to stay on that tightrope because they're either going to lean too much to being the exact same as the original or too far away because you're completely forgetting the morals of the story. And you, you you did say this, and I cannot agree with you more. They're, the writing for these movies have gotten lazy as shit. And something that I kept plucking out when watching this movie, their whole like, oh, you got to be uh, here. I'm going to pull this up actually real quick. Here it is. Uh, you got to be like brave and truthful and unselfish. And that they just kept repeating those three things. You got to check off your list to become a real boy. But that's just like the same shit in Cinderella, how in Cinderella, they're like, be kind, have faith and be kind or something. And then the sword in Mulan is like, says brave or they're all the fucking same concept is what I'm trying to say. It's like a carbon copy script that they're just copying and pasting over. Uh, Her sword says loyal, brave and true. And in Cinderella, her like mantra is have courage and be kind. All three of these movies are talking about the same fucking thing. All of them. And it's like with all these, you have to like spell it out for these kids when in the 19 fucking 50s, you didn't have to spell them out for the kids. That's stupid. That's dumb. Why do you think that kids are dumber nowadays? Just give them good movies with these good concepts. Um, Or yeah, the original, like original stories and not, and like use, I don't know, some form of creativity. But I will, I mean, in the I guess the other thing is like, do we did we really need a Pinocchio like no. a Pinocchio retelling? We never need it. Well, this dude, that's the There's thing. We're, gonna, we're gonna get a retelling. We're gonna get a retelling later this year. It's very strange that this is the th- second of three Pinocchio movies that are coming out this year because there's also the weird Pauly Shore Netflix one, um, and that's a retelling. That's taking the material and doing something different with it. And Mulan was almost that for these Disney live action remakes. Mulan was just not good and not well executed as it could have been. But do something with the material. We can always watch the older movies. We don't need a live action rendering of the same fucking movie. I don't get that. Like I said, though, I mean, I I still had a little bit of fun with it. I thought Cynthia Erivo singing When You Wish Upon a Star was why she got the contract in the first place. And it was a complete waste of the actual character. But why yeah, didn't you? And also, why didn't you let Jiminy Cricket sing his fucking song? That's his fucking song. And they don't let him sing it in the movie. It's so weird. Uh, there's also a scene where Pinocchio smells horse shit. 
I guess that's what kids think is funny nowadays. Um, but I don't know. There's there's just so much more you can. And I guess here's my last nitpick. Why the fuck did they feel the need to make Monstro some weird tentacle winged cr- sea creature when a giant whale that inhales you whole is scary enough as it is? It was already terrifying. I mean, you make a really good point with that. <laughs> Uh, I think it came to a point though, like the closer we got to the end of the runtime, I became obviously disengaged. And when movie, like I'll honestly go out there and say like the Mulan that came out a couple years ago, at least they attempted something different. They tried to do something new. I will. Music in it. And the choreography was the fighting. Like at least it had something that I could pull from it. This film, nothing. Just because you put Tom Hanks in it and it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who, sorry, it's no longer the... He brought nothing to the movie. He, he, there was nothing. Sorry. <laughs> um. Well, I will actually, you know what? I will say I enjoyed what he did with the whole Pleasure, Pleasure Island sequence. There was a weird decision with these like smoke shadow creatures and stuff instead of just like having it be selling donkeys through the slave trade or whatever. There was like a weird magical aspect. But other than that, there was zero creative, like, what's the word I'm looking for? There was zero creative stamp of Robert Zemeckis on this film. It just felt like another Disney film. So I I, I know, like, I gave you the chance to, to have this as a theme, but since we're not, I at least want to make word of it. But uh, just because, like, I'm, I'm tarnishing this live action Disney remake, which, I mean, it will be dead last in my rankings. Um, really, Lion- I wouldn't put it last, Lion- dude. Was Lion King better? Maybe. <laughs> no, Lion uh, King. See, no, Lion King was not better because Lion King fucked up the moral of the story. They didn't like they cut the whole scene with the stick, and that is unforgivable in my opinion. Sorry. Okay. Well, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, and it's weird because like I've been kind of after <laughs> after watching Beast, I've been kind of itching to rewatch Lion King. Um, but you watch Muf- You got to watch it before Mufasa. I know, right? But I just want to give a shout out to like the brighter side of it. So I thought the live action Pete's Dragon was superb. That was, a, and like Pete's Dragon was yes. one of those I grew up with. And I yes. really like how they did that. Uh, brought that. The and then obviously, I mean, you want to say something about Pete's Dragon? No, it, well, I was going to say it's that Cruella and the Jungle Book for me that I think do the. Doing? Do the well, Cruella is kind of different because that's not making a remake of 101 Dalmatians in that story. But Jungle Book and Pete's Dragon are the exact right on that tightrope that I've been talking about this whole time. Of we did enough from the original and we made enough changes that it feels like it's unique, own unique product and feels the nostalgic power of being attached to the original. Those two are like high key, maybe the best examples. Aladdin came very close if it was just a little bit more well executed. Well, and, and on the note of Aladdin, I didn't think it was as bad as I thought it was going to Absolutely be. Absolutely not. I like, I really like what Guy Ritchie brought to the film in some aspects. Yeah. And, and like, what's interesting is with these live action Disney films is they definitely try to get a director that is more, I guess you can say, well known in a different time. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Farber with Jungle Book. You have Tim Burton, Alice in Wonderland, Kenneth Branagh, Cinderella, and then uh, Guy Ritchie with Latin. I mean, that's just shouting them out there, I but mean, those yeah. are all known ones. But I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly, um, yeah. And well, in, in all the note of 
Mufasa. That's going to be directed by Barry Jenkins. So yeah, that's dude. Nuts. <laughs> My uh, question yeah. is, what amount of money are they giving Barry Jenkins to stop whatever creative and inspiring story he wants to tell next? To like tell the prequel story of fucking Mufasa in a franchise that like no one's asking for that. No one, no one asked for that. But now he's going to put his time and talent and efforts into making that is just a little crazy to me. And I would love to see what that check looked like. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you got to you got to wonder <laughs> you do. Uh, but I mean, that, that, that's 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 really all I have with that one. I mean, I kind of like to get something bigger and better. No, we can. I think I don't know. I have nothing more to say about Pinocchio. That was. I don't, but also I wasn't expecting anything from Pinocchio. So you can't even say that you're disappointed when these live action remakes have just been like putting out the exact same product every time and they're not getting any better, but we still all fucking watch them. Okay. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Um, um. Yeah. Let's, all right. Now let's figure out how to make a hard beeline and to see how they run. So this film, uh, I would say, has gotten like, a uh, little advertisement. I thought this was going to be, uh, I think it was originally going to be sent to streaming on Hulu, mm. but it got, it's got a theatrical run, but yeah, we're getting, we're getting the chance to, to talk this one. Um, I guess early. <laughs> so this, this technically, yeah. So see how they're on. It's, it's a murder mystery who done it. Uh, basically you have two detectives or two, uh, you have an inspector and a constable cause you're in uh, London. Uh, but they're just trying to solve the murder of a director at a at a play, and you have your likes of a cast that um, of the sus- suspects, I should say. But uh, led by Sam Rockwell and, and Trisha Ronan, this film is uh, for me because I watched the film. Uh, it was pretty good. It it didn't need to get the attention, and I guess the heavyweight that Knives Out has just kind of come and become nowadays uh, with the that. Who done it? But it's better than like the Murder on the Orient Express, the Death on Niles that we've gotten. Like it's kind of it does a good job at blending in between it, um, especially the final act. I don't obviously we're not going to spoil this film because it's mm-hmm. want to be able to watch it to figure out who who done it. Um, but like how they they ask with- us specifically not to tell anyone. <laughs> and they did, yeah, twice um, breaking the fourth wall type shit. But yeah, no, I mean it. I I thought it was uh, well constructed because uh, it. It did enough to build suspension amongst its its characters. Um, it has Adrian Brody, which is always great to see him back on screen. Uh, so it, it did its blend and stuff. And I thought the production within just just uh, play setting was really neat. And then I, I know throughout the whole movie, you just kept saying it's Wes Anderson, it's Wes Anderson, it's Wes Anderson. And maybe this Tom George is just an alias <laughs> uh, for Wes Anderson. It sounds like a fake name. Yeah, right. Uh Almost, it looked like looks. It'd like be really time. funny. God, imagine if directors like just started making movies under like Quentin Tarantino retires, but then we keep like a dude comes into the Hollywood scene named Dave Jenkins or Dave Dingleberry, and he fucking is making Quentin Tarantino style movies. But Quentin's like, no, it's not me. I promise. Yeah, that, I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to that. I would I'm, love it. He I'm, makes seventeen more movies. As Don Dingleberry, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, it's it's this film. There's no reason to um be annoyed by the outcome if you're not gonna fully. 
the film. Like if you're just gonna, you know, uh, dingle around on your phone and you're gonna complain about how, how dare it, you? How it's potter. I'm not talking about you. How oh, it's okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. just like. Not everything's going to be Knives Out. Not everything's going to be the way you want it to be when it comes to these whodunit films. Also, like, Knives Out is a predictable ass ending. It, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And they tell it's you not right, anything like, that special. At least this had me guessing. It, exactly. And like, what's wrong with that in a, a mystery film like this? Like, you don't want to be having it spoiled within the. There's there was a movie. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, Death on the Nile. With it, like you know the killer within the first hour, and you still have an hour left. At least with this film, yeah. it's ninety minutes. It's a clean runtime, and it does enough with its mystery. And like we're uh, what I was saying before, creating this uh, speculations with uh, every suspect, you still have like twenty minutes to work with after it's revealed who it is. And that's that's kind of not not, not even twenty minutes, but it's really nice mm-hmm. how how it comes about. And and I think that's where it should get its its credit for. It. I mean, I I just you know. I, I I just I I describe this as all substance and no style because again I could I could only I could only see the style of a different creative mind and that was Wes Anderson it was very reminiscent it even had a Wes Anderson style cast uh but what this the standout for this movie for me was probably how self-aware it was when it was presenting this story to us Because, I mean, it's an Agatha Christie-style murder about an Agatha Christie-style story that is turned into a play that then is the victim of a murder. Like, so that's that's great and, and like, high concept on its own. And the intelligence that takes writing a script that makes this come across non-cheesy is awesome. Uh, There was a lot of frame-by-frame stuff, which kind of made this feel like it was unveiling, like it was, like, a comic mystery like like an old mystery comic noir, so that was cool, but I think where it fell off was like I was just uninterested in the characters. Their performances were good, but they were nothing special. Like one was a dorky cop that we've seen a, a dorky, but by the books cop that is constantly taking notes, which is a character trope we've seen a hundred times in a hundred different murder mysteries. And the other is like a more gruff and drunk veteran detective who is kind of like in charge and like you kind of waste your Sam Rockwell and your Sir Sharona Ronan if you're not doing anything special with them and that's kind of how I felt throughout the entirety of the movie I'm like you have these two insanely excellent actors that could put in performances that feel wholly unique and give us characters that are memorable and these just weren't them like can you name one thing about either of their characters or even their names without looking it up. I don't, I, I mean, can you do the same for Knives Out? No, exactly. Uh, no, I can't. I, I can't even remember the family's last name. I was gonna hit you with something. I was like, oh god, I they, know. Did they, they, uh, with what you're saying, where there was no style, I thought it was kind of neat the way Adrian Brody was narrating the film. Uh, it's revealed early that he is the killer, it's in the trailers. I'm not care, I don't care if I spoil it for you. But it does a really cool job at he, no 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 no, no 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 wait 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 you said he is the killer he is the oh, murder victim. Victim. he is the victim I'm like yeah. did you just spoil the whole thing wait a minute <laughs> um, I'm speaking too fast here but like yeah. he does a really cool job at, at sh- and kind of navigating you through it and they show some pretty cool uh I, I, not swings and misses but just some cool ideas that I think can separate itself 
and when you're making a film like this, it's, it's kind of better to, to do that. I know, um, there, there are some, uh, out there that could obviously, uh, that's, that's the big worry with, with glass onion. Is it going to be too much of what we got with knives out? We'll see. But I, I think see how they're on it is, um, not a harmless film. I've seen far worse this year, far worse. And in, you know, respectable 90 minute runtime, what more can you ask for? Yeah, sure. But are you ready for the big one? Yeah. Well, the woman King. Oh, are we going to talk about that? Yeah, I have it on the list for this week. Yeah, <laughs> I got no notes. I mean, I haven't even written my review for it either. I was just gonna wing it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, go see Woman King. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> no, we can definitely get into this. This movie, I think this is our first true Oscar contender that I've seen this year that I can like safely say we'll get nominations at at least a couple of categories, if not. At mm, least it, Viola Davis. It's very hard for films to get need multiple, multiple categories. I don't know, bro. I feel like costume design is maybe a lock for this one after seeing the history of like what's been nominated the last five years. But right. let me do let me do a draft. I want to see that lock. I just want to yeah. see that lock. Oh yeah, That's- I got it. I'll first overall. We'll okay. See. All right. Well, you didn't come in last. Don't don't cherish yourself too high there. <sighs> oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, I keep coming in fucking second every year. It's great. All right. Anyways, The Woman King starring Viola Davis, John Boyega, Lashana Lynch. The lovely Lashana Lynch. And a a slew of other fantastic actresses. Uh, This is the story of these African warrior women who are fucking badass. Like that is the definition of this movie in most parts during these fight sequences some of the most badass action sequences I've maybe seen all year. It's really crazy. The chore or the choreography and the things that they got these actresses and these stunt people to do. And the action is violent and visceral. And you feel the weight of the situation of like it all. This is the, these are the, the height of the slave trades in the 1850s. And these warriors are fighting for their people because they're sick and tired of selling off their own kind. And, the way these actresses handled these performances and you'd think like there were going to be by the trailer, at least you think there were going to be a lot more fight sequences and there's really not. It's a lot of character work and a lot of good character work. We see the growth of our main little girl character throughout the entirety of the film. You see her be go from a bratty little child to one of the top warriors among the ranks of these women. And that's really great storytelling. I was pleasantly surprised by this movie i truly didn't know i knew what to expect when you're going to see a viola davis led movie where it's about a strong black woman like you there's there's a certain level to that grandeur physically strong as well she is physically strong in this movie she is a fucking badass she oh god it's i mean there's the badass is like the word that is needs to to describe this movie yeah, no, this I thought this film it had a um a really great you know in terms of being able to tell an original story and the way Hollywood is all about wanting to create sequels off of you know dying IP. Uh, what we got with this one though was really really cool. Uh, Gina Prince Bythewood, the director, she did Love and Basketball, which is like a beautiful film right there. So you kind of know the strong characters you're gonna get, uh, and so uh, I'm. I mean, kind of not lost for words, but just it was unexpected to, to see how brutal they're willing to take these women warriors mm-hmm. 
to the violence that was required for them in order to survive. And I think we haven't seen a film like this in, in, in some times. I mean, I know we got the Northman earlier this year, which you can draw similar to it on the male side, but what we got here in the female landscape is it's, it's beautiful. The cinematography was great. Like you're saying, the costumes are some, some of the best. And, and what's shocking to me is just like you, you get to a moment in the film where, you know, they're training these young warriors to prepare for battle, which is really great. And, but there's also like this shifting character dynamic that in some films it might like you kind of you just don't like the taste of it. But I think the way they handled it in this film was was well done and it kind of received that extra level of energy that it needed in the last act. And I think that, so well written that that really kind of pulled that part off. And I mean, what's what's weird is that like John Boyega is in this and he kind of makes some really horrible decisions uh, between not spoiling too much but like i just he, there's a lot of like i just it's interesting that he um what he made uh as keen there just interesting i don't know what to say <laughs> i mean he he played the role that he was he assigned he, he yeah made the decisions that he needed to make to make sure that these women ended up where they were yeah. again without but spoiling I, it was yeah but i mean other than that though i mean like I said, it, it's a it's a surprising film that can't, comes out this year where there's a lot of uh, not so many good movies. But uh, yeah, last last week, especially with the things we talked about, those movies were like just not great. This these at least three of these movies are like surprisingly good. They had like I like I didn't have very many very much expectations for the Woman King or see how they run at all. Hmm. And being as surprised with the quality and what the product of what we got is great because we've been coming off a real load of stinkers lately when it comes to the box office. Big loads. <laughs> Big loads. Uh, but, so, yeah, I mean, this movie is really great. It's action packed. I think it it reaches the the like every kind of movie fan in the aspects of like there's even solid romance. There's family drama. There's all these different things in this one movie that can like bring audiences in there. And I hope this movie ends up doing well in the box office. I'd like to see more movies like this big budget, epic war films. Cause I mean, that's one of the best genres. I love, I love a good war movie. And that's what this is. This is a war film yeah. with a badass female lead, but yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess I teased it. Uh, Barbarian. No, uh, let me try that again. I guess I teased it when I said like surprisingly good, because when it comes to the movie Barbarian, the first of all, titles bogus. Hate the title. I think the title should have been The Basement. That is my first and that is my only hill I'm going to die on when it comes to this movie. You will, no, you will absolutely die on that. I, who did no one's, oh, coming, God. no one's walking down that hill to save you. Someone too. someone commented some stranger commented on my letterboxd review where i said like oh, I oh why is it why isn't it called the basement they said he they're on barbary street or whatever mm -hmm. so he, they he is the barbarian or she is the barbarian or whatever but also, i was like how the fuck were we supposed to know that <laughs> but also the definition of barbarian is someone that's basically not accepted in society like they're not mm, they're deemed that's a stretch is it though is mm. it though without spoiling this film, because I, I want to do the best no. we can without, without doing that, uh, at least obviously in the first half. But yeah, the you can't like it's, I, 
on the terms of the title, you cannot sell this film on the basement because people are just going to go and watch it. Like, okay, whatever, whatever's going to happen here, it's going to happen in the basement. It's going to happen in the basement. There we go. Cool. But with Barbarian, you're kind of left in that that moment of like that suspension where you don't know what's going to happen. The further they go in the basement, the more interesting and just straight chaotic it gets uh, for our lead characters. And what we got with this film, it, it, pretty freaking awesome. I mean, a horror film in September completely surprising at the end of august but yeah i mean it does uh an elite job at shifting tone between horror and the comedic uh elements that they try to throw in yeah. there with the introduction of justin long who plays an absolute douchebag but he does it perfectly He's so good at it and and i mean yeah just to kind of like get into it but it's just uh, a young woman arrives late to her airbnb it's it's complete pitch black uh, surrounding her except for this house that she's going into and she notices that in the- for what in detroit in detroit first of all she is a a woman by herself on a dark street in detroit michigan so yes. it's a yikes from me just to start so, so she is there and she notices that uh there's no key to get inside the airbnb and she, uh, she knocks on the door and it's it's bill Sarsgaard. so uh georgina came- <laughs> pennywise is uh, in her house <laughs> so Coming already familiar background knowledge of, of Bill Skarsgård, you just automatically just don't trust him, which I thought was a great. It's perfect casting. Yeah, he's and, ju- he's like he has he has a face that is like just creepy enough, but also handsome enough that you're like, I don't know which way to go with this guy. Yeah. It, so he uh, he invites her in and he becomes very friendly. So, but he tiptoes around the like red flag lines. Like he's there's so many that are popping out. It's kind of it's kind of fun. But they kind of they bond after a while. They do bond, and and the film does a good job at like uh, giving you the spooks in the night with the lady because she's uh, something like the door opens and she thinks it's him, but then uh, it shifts back to daylight. Uh, but yeah, it they have a pretty good relationship, uh, chemistry building, and then that's when shit hits the fan and she goes into the basement and she finds a strain onto a door. She was looking for toilet paper and she found some downstairs. Of course it's in the basement. Right. But when she goes down there, uh, she sees this secret closet. Yeah. Wait, I was about to say, let's, I, let's rein this back. Oh, well then fuck me. Okay. That's well, I just, I just think oh, I mean, we gotta, I, the, like going I in is what more we could talk about the movie without. That's the thing. Going into it as blind as possible is the best way to do this. I guess one thing I will say is, I like how the movie was broken up. It feels like three individual segments. I thought I wasn't going to like how hard cut some of the, like how hard the cuts are of at some of these moments of the film. But the first part of the movie feels like an intense, like thriller type movie. The middle is like a dark comedy. And then the end is like a grotesque horror movie. Like I've never seen before. They hit every single part of this movie out of the park. The performances are all excellent because they elicit the exact emotions that you want to get from their performances, from all of them. The the untrustworthy Bill Skarsgård, the heroine in, um, oh crap, you you just said her name. Fuck, my Regina, brain. Regina, What's her name? Regina Campbell. Regina Campbell, like Regina. how she is our clear, our clear cut heroine. And then just the douchebaggery of Justin Long's character who is so likably hateable in this movie. And I know that's an oxymoron, but I think it makes perfect sense for him and his characters that he plays. But I just, I was so thoroughly surprised and, and 
entertained by this film and I didn't I'd know what to expect. Yeah, so apparently we're not going to talk about it. Go in blind because that's the best way yeah. to uh, achieve what it's setting out to do. Uh, you'll understand yeah. why it's called Barbarian and we will keep it there. Well, we told you about why it's called Barbarian and just knowing the setup of the Airbnb thing is I think is plenty. So yeah, we we're going to, we're going to stall out that conversation, but this is something that if you are a horror fan, if you are a fan of being spooked, because my boy here screamed like a little girl during the movie, I was right there next to him. It was hilarious. He got, got so good. All right. Cool. You remember? Oh my God. You got, God, I, that was really funny. I, I was dying laughing. Um, share what it was that spooked me, but you know, that's fine. Well, no, you don't. Why would you want to spoil a potential scare moment, but we'll go on uh, from there. That was the wrap up of Brent and Brett go to the movies. Uh, like I said, Barbarian is maybe I don't know about you, but Barbarian out of the four of them was my favorite movie. And I think the one that is clearly the thing we should have based our theme around. So we decided that disturbing horror movies, just like Barbarian is going to be our theme for our uh, podcast this week. And we both brought something to the table like we usually do. So I will go ahead and go first. Because um, speaking of Justin Long, he does happen to be in the film that I'm choosing. And this might be even a little teaser for our potential conversation next week, knowing what we're going to be talking about, even though we're not going to be talking about this specific movie. But one of my favorite directors of all time is very much known for making his funny comedies, self-referential stuff, nerd culture type stuff. But Kevin Smith, whenever he's allowed to go darker and hardcore, like in things like Red State or things like the movie I've chosen today, Tusk, I think that's where you get to see another layer of this creative mind that is Kevin Smith. And Tusk is one of the most fucked up ridiculous horror movies you will ever seen. Justin Long literally gets surgically grafted into a skin suit, turning him into a walrus. And the practical effects are just cheesy enough, but just gross enough to make you just disgusted. It's amazing. It's one of the most ridiculous concepts. It came to be because they were having a ridiculous weed driven conversation on a podcast and then they made it into a movie and they made it into a movie that has genuinely good performances from Justin Long and one of the great actors of our time, Michael Parks, who is no longer with us. He is fantastic. You know who Michael Parks is? I'm aware. Okay. I always thought he was a high caliber actor. I love him in all the Tarantino stuff he does too. Um, But I just think they got these great actors. I mean, they also got fun characters with Haley Joel Osment and, and then Justin Long's girlfriend. And the story and the mystery of it all is like not very much more than surface level. But the selling point is the just terrifying nature of being kidnapped and legitimately turned into a fucking walrus. It's just unsettling, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, I remember the first time I watched Tusk, uh, there wasn't many people in the theater. And that, I'm so jealous that you got to watch it in theaters. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, the, I just, I heard very little about the film. Uh, and obviously, Justin Lone is someone I, I kind of have gone way back with. But yeah, this, this film's, it's, it's ridiculous. And the nature it's trying to, um, 
achieve, which it does because it's disturbing. Um, it also has Johnny Depp where he plays the detective that he's, tries- oh, he's so funny. And yeah. I actually do you know the story as to how they got Johnny Depp into the movie. Isn't his daughter friends with Kevin Smith? Exactly. Daughter? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're both in the you movie. Need to go to play film the- school for that one. Nope. Well, uh, I, I, originally heard that story from Kevin Smith when I got to see him do like a his form of stand-up is him just standing up on a stage and answering questions and talking and talking and talking and he was telling about how he was friends with Johnny Depp now because Haley uh, uh, I think Haley Rose Depp and Harley Quinn Smith are were best friends or I think they're still friends I don't know I'm not really sure but they they play the yoga hosers in the movie. They get their own spinoff sequel after the fact. But this movie is just Tusk is above and beyond. Maybe it, it is Kevin Smith's most horror movie that he's ever made. And I think it's God, it's one of his most unique, at least. Um, and I mean, Justin Long makes the movie. He literally makes the movie because it's just like in Barbarian. He's this likable douchebag dude who's a fucking dick. And his whole bit is he has a podcast where he makes fun of motherfuckers. And that and and so he's getting his comeuppance. But like no one deserves to be turned into a walrus. So that's I mean, it's, well, it's yeah. still up for that. right. True. <laughs> I, th- I think I could think of like two or three people, but that I mean, that is my pick. That is what oh. I went with for my like it's disturbing movie. And you know, on that note, though, like it was recently confirmed that a sequel was going to get made. So or at least it it's possible. Did you not well, see yeah, it? no, Kevin Smith. Awesome. Kevin Smith basically came out and said, if uh, Lionsgate wants to keep giving me low like money to make these low budget movies that are just my movies and then I sell a bunch of Blu-rays, I'll make sequels to everything. Uh, yeah, so what um, what I what I'm going to pick here is. Uh, I think in terms of disturbing horror, there's a lot that comes to my mind. Um, there's the cannibal Holocaust film that came out long ago. That I is, need to watch that. That's just very, um, what the title is as also <laughs> human. Centipede. It, it is what the title is. Oh, uh, I literally almost picked human centipede. Um, that movie is, is it's just experience, bro. Yeah. Straight disturbing. Uh, I've, I've seen uh, a bunch of like, uh, horror films where the grotesque nature doesn't um, expect like I guess more foreign countries pull that stuff off a lot more uh, but I didn't want to like go deep into something like that so what I chose was a film that I remember uh, going to see in theaters and it was like one of the most it was certainly at that time a controversial release that is hostile Eli Ross film that came out in 2005 dude I that was on my top five that I like compiled. I was gonna watch that. I need to watch that. Uh, it's going yeah. on my list. So you've never seen it? No. Oh well, no need to watch the sequels. This is the only <laughs> one that um that yeah because that it just it gets to the point where like it does it loses uh, interest on the rewatch because it's just so grotesque the nature about it. But it's just three backpackers. Um, they yeah they they backpack uh in a Slovakian city and they hear about this place uh I want to say to get laid as all guys apparently go out. Well, to no, do. a hostel is like where so, wow. backpackers can go oh. and just like get a bed and sleep yeah. for the night. 
so they're they're basically they're kidnapped and well they're led there by these girls too uh right. but they're they're kidnapped drugged and they wake up in the in this this basic torture room and like this is what brought eli roth on the map like this uh this the film bear, the bear jew it, like he he did cabin fever uh earlier but this film kind of really brought more people into like the disturbing nature that he has and mind wise which is not like it's not a bad thing i mean you you're showing your creativity there but it it's basically like these you find out that these without spoiling too much of it but like there's these billionaires out there that pay to torture people and they get to decide like how they want to do it with whatever tool that they at their exposure they pay to to do and it's 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 really fucking disturbing and so it's a story like like how these guys get out of that and they're pretty much just stuck in hell in the meantime and it's it's disturbing and they don't hold back uh it is a very brutal film and i like i said i remember when it was getting released it was one of those nc-17 releases i mean i went to the theater in troy because it was four screens wow. they weren't so hardcore on like on like minors going in there so i remember like watching this when it came out and i was fucking 13 or whatever so it 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 messes with the mind especially with just body horror as a whole is very gruesome and love it oh i couldn't uh, i mean to talk about the woman king real quick there is that scene where like i could not watch them just push her bone back into place with the broken arm body horror fucks with me like no other so i'm very excited to watch this for the october uh 31 days of horror slash halloween movies for me uh but like on like what we're just mentioning though with barbarian is like like there's a level of body horror that gets way too gruesome uh and that is one of the things that can really just uh set people in such a bad place but they're they're i mean it's a strong genre within uh, i guess subgenre within the horror films and so uh, i remember when this came out it was just like one of those sensations uh that really kind of like swept because all people wanted to talk about was like, like just how gnarly this film was and and it, that it is and the sequel i mean it's not it's just as ridiculous i don't think it's worth watching but they definitely up the ante in terms of torture and violence and go, i mean whatever name you want to call it it's it's all there but yeah i just um kind of like been on one of those kicks of like watching films in the mid 2000s and so that was kind of easy to to have as my pick here You're going down a nostalgia road yeah i mean i could see i own hostel on, on dvd <laughs> i can see it uh i'm yeah no i mean i'm gonna be for sure watching that within the next month uh my whole thing is like how do you go from cabin fever and now this movie whatever to making fucking the house with the clocks in the walls or whatever it's crazy his career has taken a turn well, I would love. I would love to see if, see him dip his toes back into the world of just like grotesque horror again. Well, have you seen? Uh, have you seen Cabin Fever? A long time ago. I think I watched that like at a, in a sleepover, like a really long time ago. Okay. And then funny on the note, but like he kind of did a sort of soft reboot remake of uh, Cannibal Holocaust with the Green Inferno. Um, oh. So in that movie, it, yeah. I mean, when people eat people, that's that's a level of hell you just don't come back from. But yeah, I mean, it. He's an interesting filmmaker to say the least. And I mean, like you said, he um he, he also acts in some films as well with Inglorious mm-hmm. Bastards. But I remember for a while he was rumored to direct 
the Meg film and that kind of fall apart. So he he's touches, he's able to like put himself out there. Uh, interesting enough, but yeah, he was. I just remember in the two thousands, like it was like he was like what we are now with like the RES or the Jordan Peels. That's kind of where Eli Roth was back then. Yeah. Was a smaller chatter sure. on. Totally see the comparison. And, and you just they also just didn't give out budgets like they do today. So facts. Well, That's because they just been printing money. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean that sounds perfect. It's right up my alley. Because I mean, nowadays, dude, the like supernatural horror stuff and ghost stuff, that doesn't quite get me. It's it's the real blood and guts of it all. So I'm excited to watch this, but um, that's gonna wrap- my basement gets me. Oh, is yeah, is someone knocking on you? Is, is someone keep knocking on your closet door, and then when you open it, there's nothing? Let me tell you, uh, what really scares me is when I get my episodes of sleep paralysis and I can't move and I see something coming out of my closet. You got a demon, bro. And and yeah, like uh, yeah, they just it's Greg the sleep paralysis demon. Like- I'm here to watch you sleep, Brent. Oh, like, seriously, if, if I never wake up, that's going to be why. Wow. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up the podcast here with our weekly set of recommendations. Uh, mine is going to be a series that I binged right through the other night uh, because I am a glutton for the cheesiness that is Cobra Kai. Uh, In a world where assault charges do not exist and adults fight children and children fight children and children fight adults and adults fight adults and no one fucking goes to jail. Uh, This Cobra Kai show is in five. It's in its fifth season. It's as ridiculous as ever. There is a literal ponytail wearing supervillain that's hiring goons from Japan to fight and defend his dojo versus the fucking karate kid and the ba- and his dojo and there's characters from all three of the karate kid movies now they're not holding back at all and it's ridiculous but i cannot stop watching it i love it and every season by the last three episodes it always has me like beating my chest like let's go win that fucking karate match yeah child so i i i love it i can't i i it's it's something that you just it's definitely an acquired taste, but if you can get into it, if you like that that cheesy high school like ridiculous coming of ageness of it all of this karate world, you'll you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I watched the first like half of the first season, and it just wasn't for me. I, no, I, I, no, like... it's because it, dude, it is. It's on another level when it comes to the kitsch. It's it's insane the things that it gets away it, with. Like is um. Paul Waller Hauser still in that? Yeah, yes, he's, he's very much still a thing in this show. I, I thought he like disappeared for one season and people- he. So <laughs> his character it came into play around season two. Then at the end of like season three, or no, at the end of season two, he got sent to jail for fighting children in a high school because he's a grown man. Yeah, and then after he got out of jail. He got beat up by the villain that is currently in season five. He got beat half to death. Or maybe that was season four. No, season four. He got beat half to death. And then to to set up and frame a different sensei to put that sensei in jail so that this other sensei who beat the shit out of Paul Walter Hauser's character could usurp him for power. <laughs> that is where we're at at this show. And the dude the, with the ponytail is the villain from Karate Kid 3, Terry Silver. Uh, yeah, no, I'm crazy. Aware. 
I'm aware. It's all crazy. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, but I love it. I love it so much. All right. What's your recommendation? Uh, well, I mean, I, I could stick in the realm of, of TV uh, like you did. Um, oh, yeah. Like, Do it. Yeah. So as uh, you know, I talk about John Berthnall a lot. Yeah, he his uh, TV adaptation reboot of <clears throat> which is one of those things where like if they want to remake a movie that doesn't go into theaters it just gets remade to a television series which is pretty funny um but they uh, showtime redid american gigolo the film that was made famous with richard gear paul schrader which i just rewatched that film wait no that's a rob schneider movie and more preparation of the tv show and john berthnall the first episode um fridays is when those come out but he just uh he's such a great actor and i will watch everything that he does and so um watching him just get the fool around with older ladies i mean is that not my kind of show <laughs> but uh there's a murder that comes into play and he got sentenced to jail and so he's released and it's a little different than the movie so with the show it obviously has to be able to create a story that can tell over the course of some time and with john berthnall and the way he brings that to life it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out it already has a pretty good mystery going about it um and once John Brosnall gets to get tough, that's when the movie gets real crazy. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Where is this movie or where is this show? It's on Showtime. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, for sure. I'm, I have to, dude, I think next year is going to be my TV show year. I have a, I'll compile a list of shows that I need to watch. And like I watch, try to watch one movie per day. I'm going to watch one episode of a television show. I've been meaning at least one episode of a television show that I've been meaning to get off my list a day starting next year. January 1st is my mission. And I think breaking bad might be first, but with that, I think we're a good show. Who the fuck? Chase. Oh, I was like, I never said that. What the fuck? Also, Chase is, Chase Chase lives in a world of cap. <laughs> IP. Right? Well, on that note, we finally got our Chase reference in for the podcast. So now we can officially end the show for the day. See you guys. Bye-bye.